Welcome to Zero Trust 30. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and this is the show that helps you make sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. I am joined by Jason Garbus, who's the Chief Product Officer at AppGate. He's also the co-chair of the Cloud Security Alliance Zero Trust Working Group, and he's also the co-author of Zero Trust Security and Enterprise Guide. And we're actually joined by the other co-author of Zero Trust Security and Enterprise Guide, Jerry Chapman, who is the engineering fellow uh, focused on identity management and zero trust at Optive Security. He has over 25 years of uh, industry experience helping clients design and implement their enterprise uh, identity and access management strategies. Jerry, Jason, thank you guys both for joining me today. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's great to be here, George. Awesome. Well, before we dive into our topic, uh, getting real about zero trust and, and who better to do that with than the two of you, we'd like to start it off with a little bit of an icebreaker. And Jerry, we'll go ahead and start with you. It's a very simple game. We just ask the question, what's bugging you? So go ahead, Jerry, what's bugging you? What's bugging me? Just getting started on products or projects uh, around zero trust, whether it's identity related, whether it's network related, uh, endpoint, mobile security, you pick it, cloud enablement, just getting started. That, that bugs me. Just Let's just do this thing and, and move forward. Getting started. All right, Mr. Garbus, what is bugging you? For me, it's, uh, I think, very similar to what Jerry said. It's really when you see organizations that, I won't say they don't have a sense of urgency. I think they do uh, around security and around moving forward with this, but they sometimes stumble and fall into this uh, the pit of despair around uh, paralysis by analysis, which is, okay, we want to do this. Now, let's spend all this time, months and months and months, uh, looking at every possible facet. And it's it's a tough balancing act, I understand that, of wanting to move quickly and also wanting to not make mistakes and understand where you're going and plan things out. But I think you can't let the, the, the perfect be the enemy of the good. It's important get started, be nimble, and ad- adjust and adapt. But for goodness sake, you know, get started down this journey. Yeah, lots of similarities there. And it's it's very uh, similar to what we heard from from Mr. Cunningham um, the other day when we did episode one on, on chaos. So before we kind of jump into a couple of themes that we wanted to talk today about, I wanted to, to really just double down on, on the book here and kind of talk a little bit about Really, you know, when you guys first decided, like, what drove you to write this book? What was the inspiration behind it? So um, I'll, I'll start out, and then uh, Jerry. It was, um, I think, part of it was we found ourselves doing a lot of evangelism, education, and thinking about zero trust, and you know, for me, software-defined perimeter as an architecture for that, and. Um, we, I, th- I thought we were both very fortunate. We had the opportunity to talk to lots and lots of different folks in the industry in many different roles. And I think we found ourselves uh, kind of saying the same thing over and over again. But also, I think there was a frustration level of not being able to go deep enough in a one-hour or two-hour conversation or a meeting on some of these topics. And we didn't know all the answers as well. So it was it was part exploration of, hey, let's really try to think this through and figure it out. And part of it was, we got something to say. We want to share it in a way with the, with the broadest possible audience. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll add to that because I think that, you know, going through this and, and, and to be frank, when Jason called me and said, hey, let's do this, I'm like, you know, this is fantastic because I've been really driving towards putting identity in the middle of security, right? That's been something that's been a, a real passion. And, and zero trust just seemed to, it just led to zero trust. And, and so, you know, really driving that home and, and bringing that forth, 
really excited me. And, and you know, Jason and I, I think we had you know, we had a lot of similar views on on what what led to zero trust. But you know, just bringing that together and, and just telling the story and telling some you know some good con, uh, concepts and bringing that out was that was fantastic. And just driving that home. Was there any big revelation, right? Like you said, you, you, you guys are a couple of thought leaders in this space already. You could talk about this day in and day out. But as you actually put pen to paper, did you hit any stumps and you had to problem solve or did something come forward and you're like, I hadn't thought about that before? Yeah, I'll start. I think that um, for me, it was is it was how do I, how you know, identity obviously being a big, a big piece of that. How do I bring things like data? into the conversation, right? Because data is, you know, if you look at Forrester and you look at it, you know, data becomes a part of the conversation. It's just like, how do we really drive that home? How does that become a part of the conversation? Um, and just doing research and, and, and understanding, you know, modern data protection techniques and, and how do you integrate that in this identity-centric solution model that we've been talking about? Um, that was that was really interesting for me and just, you know, it, it a little bit of a, a learning curve to figure out how to, how to bring that together. And, and, but it was, it was fun. That, that was fun. Yeah. Data was an interesting part because it was a different perspective and it's not, it's, you know, data as an object as opposed to data as a destination that you get to through an application. And we definitely had a couple of go rounds between us and our technical reviewer on, okay, what do we really mean? Does this, does this data, does data deserve a chapter in, in a book? And what is it, you know, what does it look like? And I think our, our conclusion was clearly, yes, it does deserve a chapter, but it's also a bit more of a forward-looking topic. Um, mm. I would say other revelations were, well, this is, is, this is very time-consuming. We did a lot of research and learning along the way. And that um, there's definitely some fuzzy boundaries of zero trust because as a philosophy, you could therefore permeate everything that you do. And you know, that's, I think, a recipe for not even being able to take the first step, whereas you, know, you can start tactically, but think strategically. And you know, there are going to be natural boundaries in your organization for uh, for zero trust that each organization needs to define, which, of course, will hopefully expand over time. Yeah. I, again, I think, I think you know, a, a common theme there that we keep hearing is that zero trust is a framework. It's an idea. How you apply it to your organization is entirely up to you, and you make those decisions, and you put it into context of what your challenges are, what your goals are, what your risk management posture looks like. That makes a lot of sense. So for the audience out there, Zero Trust Security and Enterprise Guide, you can find it on Amazon. Um, is there any other places, Jerry or Jason, that we should prompt for people to go out there if they're interested in getting the book? Because it's definitely a, a, if you are embarking on a Zero Trust journey, it's a must read. You can uh, probably get it at your local independent bookseller. Uh, as well as fra, from uh, from the publisher at A-Press. A-Press, there you go. There you go. All right, guys, so um, let's jump into the topic. So title of today's episode is Getting Real About Zero Trust. Who better to do that with than the two of you? As we know, tons of hype around the topic. Um, zero Trust is not a new idea, but it definitely feels like it's shiny and new in the marketplace, and, and everybody is talking Zero Trust Lots of rabbit holes to go down, lots of places to get information. So I think today we really just want to level set, kind of clear the air of what this thing is, what it isn't, and are there any uh, misperceptions that we can clear up uh, and then, you know, offer up to the pain points, right, to what's bugging you. How can somebody logically start and when, where are those bite-sized chunks of zero trust that you can apply today? So let's, uh, 
Let's get into the first section here of, of, of level setting. Jason, I'll start with you. What is zero trust and what isn't it? And if we can, I'm not going to put the, the constraints that we talked about before the podcast of saying you can't say this, that, or the other word, but try to up-level as much as possible in terms of you know helping the audience understand what this thing is. I mean, zero trust is definitely a security philosophy and approach and, and a framework built on some core principles. And there's three or nine, depending on how you count them or depending on what source you, source you use. And um, I, you know, I often think of really the core three of uh, being having a security model that secures access for all users, really for all identities, to all resources, regardless of location. So it's holistic. And this immediately says, okay, I'm no longer going to have a distinction between how I secure access to things for a user who's in the office or at home or for a resource that's in my data center or in the cloud. The second philosophy is that this access is controlled by a set of dynamic and identity-centric policies that utilizes as much of a 360-degree view as possible around the identity and the device and the network and the workload. And the third principle is that this access needs to be monitored and logged and and evaluated for you know, baseline versus anomalies. And that, as a philosophy, then, you could, the next question is, okay, what isn't zero trust? And I think that's hard to answer on, kind of on face value or independent of every organization because it could permeate everything. And the reality is that in the security space with the set of tools and infrastructure we have, there's natural boundaries where you're going to have separate security or access solutions for you know, data is a great example. There aren't really zero trust data solutions that are tied into zero trust access at, right now. There's lots of other uh, kind of areas around the edges. So it's, I would say that ultimately zero trust could permeate all aspects of IT and security, uh, but that's going to be a, you know, a multi-year, uh, definitely a multi-year journey. If, and that's only for the organizations who kind of get to the most the most advanced or most mature phase. What do you, what do you think, Jerry? What am I missing on the on the boundaries? Yeah. So the, the one thing. For, so the only thing I think you missed from a, um, a pure what is zero trust, right? Uh, it's that it's that risk analytics that becomes a a, a core part of of deciding access, right? Um, because I think it's I think it's important to bring in all the risk data, all the risk analytics, the heuristics to define should this in real time should this identity have access in real time and what it's doing right. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right, and it permeates all of our IT security. Um, I think it, but the one thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to you know I'm going to kind of take it up a level and say it's not an IT initiative. Right. This zero trust is not should not be initiated from the IT department. Um, and I know in our book we talk about bottom up, we talk about top down. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about middle out, but we'll, we'll leave. You know, we talk about bottom up, and, and there are some principles that you can do to initiate zero trust. Um, uh, but but really, to be successful in a zero trust initiative, it has to come from the top because you're changing the culture of an organization. And that's what Zero Trust is going to do ultimately, is change the culture of what you're doing inside your organization. Um, the, the, when, I, when I talk about um, what Zero Trust is not, um, it is not, you know, it is not a, it is not a product, right? It is not um, 
a single path to, to access and restricting access. Um, it's a collection and an integrated selection of set of tools to drive all the stuff that we just talked about. And it has to. Um, so those are really the things that, you know, to, to George, one of the things you said, what's bugging me, that, that bugs me, right? That's, that, that really bugs me. And, it's, and that's what it really, really drives towards. I think there's a, there's a related um, kind of conversation that, you, that, that we probably all had. And it often comes from someone who, who might be skeptical. And that's okay, right? Um, and they say, well, isn't zero trust just fill in the blank, you know, MFA, micro-segmentation, <laughs> principle of least privilege, et cetera. Right, and, right. you know, I really view it as this is a, you know, is zero trust just old wine and new bottles? And I really view it more as, no, zero trust is standing on the shoulders of giants. And what zero trust says is, first of all, yeah, there's all these great things that, you know, we just enumerated some of those. Those are going to be carried forward and woven in. But there's also some really... Uh, outdated things within the information security stack like VPNs and, and NACs to some degree that should be jettisoned or turned down or turned off. And Zero Trust is about deliberately making that choice and changing the architecture in a way that's holistic across, kind of horizontally across your environments, as well as vertically up and down the stack where for the first time, now you have a model and hopefully a set of commercially available tools that give you the ability to express access policies in a very business-friendly, identity-centric way, but enforce it all the way down to the network level, which we've never really had before as an industry. And that's what I really view as, that's what's novel about Zero Trust, standing on the shoulders of giants of, of MFA and network segmentation, et cetera. You know, you know Jason, I'll, you know, the one thing I, I'll add to that, and, and it's kind of interesting, is dynamic access, right? Because I think Zero Trust really, in, in, a, in a mature state, when you start deploying zero trust and you and you and you're getting into access and access management, whether it's at the network layer, the application layer, the data layer, wherever wherever that happens to be, um, it's it's the dynamic, it's the just-in-time access, it's the capability to change um, a, a session or change an environment in midst of of a user accessing a resource. Uh, to me, that just seems to drive you know this this new paradigm because because to, to Jason's point, right? We've been doing least privilege, this principle of least privilege for a long time. We've been doing identity for twenty years. We talked about RBAC and 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 all this. We've been doing this for a long time, and and that hasn't changed. So to me, what's really drives this home is that dynamic and just in time capabilities. You know, I think that kind of takes us into one of the next sections. Here is is there's there's zero trust. And then there's zero trust network access, which has really come about if zero trust is the idea, the philosophy, right, that you buy into, it's um, zero trust network access is actually a solution that you can go and buy. And so how do you compare and contrast the differences? Because you think about the principles of zero trust and it's it's secure access through and through. So how would you how would you bridge that gap when you were talking to somebody who was looking to paint a picture between the difference of zero trust and zero trust network access? I can start because Jason, I, I know you have a lot to say on this this part of it. I'm sure, <laughs> but you know, from a when I talk about this, you know, zero trust to me, I talk about zero trust from, and I'll use the OSI model, layer three all the way up to layer seven, right? And that gets into how are you communicating, how are you driving um, access, right? I get into the next level and I call it layer eight, which is that people layer. Right, because then there's a whole people layer associated with zero trust. How are you defining access? Are they clicking on stuff? How are you, how are you educating and managing that? Right, 
Um, and then, you know, to, get, to try to jump back to the technology a little, application layer, right? When you start thinking about policy-based access control, application layer security, that's zero trust. That is a completely separate conversation than ZTNA, right? Because now you're talking about how does an application ingest uh, policies from a PDP or a policy decision point to cons consume that and then drive that policy in the application. So externalizing their, their security model, um, that's different than a, a micro-segmentation concept. Uh, I'll add one more piece to this is data. Um, and, and, and again, we talked a lot about this, but when, when you start thinking about how does data play in it, well, data is a, you may segment and you may use ZTNA concepts to, to protect data, but it's bigger than that. I need to do things like classification and governance at the data level to really drive home some of the, the access that, that at, that's at the data layer. So when you take that into, into, into when you bring that to, the, to mind, you're now not just talking about zero trust network access anymore. You're talking about all these other components that drive um, zero trust. Um, Jason, I've got one more thing to add, but I'll let you go ahead and-, and No, no, and go, go ahead, Matt. The, the last piece of this is really, is, is cloud, right? Forget the enterprise mm -hmm. and on-prem, getting into the cloud. Some of the, and, and I think Jason, you and I talked about this a lot in the book, right? Is, and, and just together on, on our many meetings uh, over, over the, the year writing the book, but you know, you're not doing network security or zero trust network access in the cloud the same way you're going to do it on-prem. And that changes the whole paradigm, right? So now it's a, it's a different conversation in the cloud. And that's where things like access management and things like data governance and data management become a bigger conversation, um, application security, uh, when you start to differentiate between ZTNA and just zero trust. Yeah, I think that... Um... So there are there are aspects of zero trust that you certainly mentioned that are outside of the scope of of zero trust network access. And the simplest examples are, you might have an application that needs to understand where the the user who's accessing it is physically located for data residency requirements. And the application has no way of knowing that. The zero trust network access system, of course, does, and it can communicate to that to the application. Uh, real simple example, but it's, it's real world and something useful. I do think that. ZTNA is the core of what you're using because you're accessing everything over a network today, nothing standalone. And that the ZTNA platform that people use, it becomes therefore the de facto foundation and the policy model and the, and the, the, the piece that can deliver that contextual information to an application or a data source that can then ingest it and do something with it. Those are great answers. I just want to go back to one point when we were talking about what it is not and some of the misconceptions, because I hear it a lot, is, well, when you say zero trust, are you saying that I shouldn't trust my employees, right? And it feels like there's a, a friction uh, wound up in the words of zero trust. Let's, let's demystify that. Jerry, do you have a response to that one? I do. I get that. I love that question because it's a great question. And, and the answer is, we're not telling you not to trust your employees or your workforce. That's not what Zero Trust is about. It's, it's just verify and validate that they are, the person accessing your corporate business resources is indeed the person who's supposed to be accessing them. And then finally, ensuring that they're doing the right thing. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing and not going outside the boundaries of, of what they should be doing. So it's not, you're not going to trust them. You just need to validate that, yeah, let's, let's, let's keep honest people honest. That's, that's what it's about, right? <laughs> 
Jason, you got anything to add to that? Yeah, it, it's it, we we literally address this topic on, on page one of the book where we say <laughs> you know that the, the word zero trust can sometimes be a little bit um, uh, challenging for some organizations. They have this visceral reaction: is wait a minute, you don't trust me. Uh, and some organizations t- rename this project, and which is great, right? I don't. If an organization says they're going to call it something else, you know, security transformation or whatever, fantastic. Whatever, whatever works for you. It's are you getting the results out of it? Um, and I'd say that, you know, it's it's a balancing act. Of course, we trust our employees, but at the same time, there are definitely financial controls and other controls that we have in place. And part of it is to protect malicious behavior, like. I can't log into a system and transfer money to anyone that I want, like you know, my brother-in-law's business. No, we have financial controls around things like that. Organizations have segregations of duties and things like that. And of course, we also have controls around IP, like not everyone in the company can look at the source code or check in source code and you know, push that into production. Of course, there's controls around that. And it's not, it's this is just good operational maturity. It's not like a, there's a lack of trust. So I think people should they shouldn't interpret it negatively. Um, and they can do that by either renaming it or putting this in a context of, look, we, we have to have controls both for malicious users as well as for malware that may inadvertently get on a user's device because they click on a phishing link. So let's let's talk about that, right, in terms of painting a better picture of zero trust and not thinking about it negatively. Um, can, can you guys differentiate the pure play security benefits of zero trust, which are relatively evident, but then also some of the, you know, un, you know not necessarily uh, well understood or realized business benefits that actually come out of this as well. Again, back to that whole zero trust feels like it means friction and, and you know, it's going to introduce complexities versus it's actually the complete opposite of that. So, Jerry, why don't you start off and security versus business benefits. What do you think? So there's, there's two. I have two answers to that, right? First is, is business agility, right? When you're implementing zero trust, you're, you're just inherently going to have more, uh, you're going to have more capabilities to, impl- to provide agility to the organization and change and shift and, and do the things that they need to do to, to, to be successful. Um, and I'll leave that one there. The, the second one I talk about, and I, and I love this part of the conversation, is, is user experience. Because if I am, from a business perspective, if, if the, na- the, the historical conversation is security versus usability, right, from a user perspective. Um, and if you're doing zero trust and you're doing it right, you know, I, I, the, my favorite topic is passwordless experience, right? If I'm, if I'm doing stuff from a passwordless side perspective and I'm not forcing users to change password every 90 days and, you know, whatever, and they go down the path of a passwordless experience, meaning I am now authenticating and verifying myself, myself through other means that is much easier and, and much better uh, as, a, as a, just a, a fundamental user experience. Um, it, it, it changes the perception. It changes what we're doing and it changes what a company um, ultimately can do. Um, and the user just feels better about it. You know, I, I, I talk a lot about how Apple makes security cool and a couple other things that, that have happened in the past. Um, but it, at the end of the day, it's just something we're getting used to and, and we've changed that. And, uh, you know, there's tons and tons of research out there with how passwords, you know, fundamentally are the core of, of, of a significant number of breaches. Um, and so that, that changes the business concept as well. Yeah, we've seen, um, 
It's kind of a paradox, but zero trust can be thought of as you know, the glue that kind of binds everything together, as well as the oil that makes everything frictionless and move even faster. And that we've seen it certainly demonstrate or deliver um, the real concrete business benefits. And this is not necessarily kind of on its own, but as a catalyst for a broader process change or technology change. So, for example, we had one customer who, because they were able to use a, a zero trust solution, um, changed the employee onboarding uh, for the hardware, for the laptop, from what took about four weeks to one that now takes three days. Because instead of having to procure the laptop, ship it to IT, have them provision it, and then ship it to the user, all the while they were using some clunky loaner, now they can drop ship the laptop directly to the user, and they get on board, and it works much faster, and it's a better user experience. Another example is that we've seen customers significantly reduce the help desk load for access-related questions by up to 90% uh, because of the user experience and because of the benefits. And there's you know, clear business benefits that are directly resulting from that. Yeah, so as a, as, a, as a potential CISO or security leader that's you know looking to, to go on this path, I listen to you guys, I say, great, sounds awesome. How do I get started? And I think this goes back to the, the what's bugging you question, right? Is not doing anything or the, the, the analysis paralysis. Let's, let's simplify it for the audience here. How does one approach just getting started? I, I often guide folk, people to say, um, just look for you know, an area that's a headache, a pain point or a point of friction or a new project that's just getting started where there isn't existing security infrastructure, there's nothing that you have to change because it's a new project. And maybe, hey, your development team is adopting some new technology like Kubernetes, or you're building something in the cloud for the first time using some new, some new mechanisms. So great, then you can partner with them, design security right from the beginning, and do it in a way that's gonna be relatively small in scale and scope. And you don't have to go back and rewire the whole kind of process infrastructure across the organization or you find the area that's a headache and you you know i'm sure that if you're in security or it you hear complaints about whatever the system is hey we hate this you know onboarding system or the network access control or the vpn or whatever it is great find some focused team of high-risk individuals maybe they're system admins or high-risk assets and say hey let's introduce this new technology in a very focused way do it POC for a couple of weeks, roll this out for 50 or 100 users, show some value and begin to deliver, uh, uh, generate some momentum for the Zero Trust Initiative, all the while you're also building out your overall uh, Zero Trust strategic roadmap. What have you seen, Jerry? There's two ways, right? I could I be the typical identity guy. Hey, go, let's run and implement MFA. <laughs> that's, that's what all your identity guys are going to tell you, right? And, and that's not bad, right? But that's not the answer. That's not, it is, it is an approach. It is a step forward. It is a good thing to do. Um, so, so absolutely. The second thing from an identity perspective is let's really evaluate your identity program. You know, let's, 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 are, are you ready to integrate? Because if, if, if zero trust is, is what I said it is, and we have to integrate all these solutions to, to incorporate, you know, all these principles to, to drive this, this just in time capability, then is my identity program ready to do that? Because I'm saying zero trust, our identity is the center of zero trust and has to be a part of that conversation. Let, let's look at it. Let's look there and see, you know, it, it doesn't have to be perfect, but let's just see what you're doing. Let's see if you have at least a modern identity solution that can support some of the things that we're talking about. It always seems to come full circle back to identity. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> I've been doing it a long no, time, it, it, but that's <laughs> real. It is, it is a real conversation. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we were, again, we were having another conversation um, where Chase Cunningham, he did a, markets, uh, a market survey and um, majority of respondents said, zero trust starts with identity. So it, spot on. Um, what roadblocks or headwinds have you seen people come across when it comes to jumpstarting or accelerating their zero trust initiatives? And, and not to, Jason, not to steal your, your words, analysis paralysis, right? Um, it's, it's almost like you know you know you know what I'm going to say. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but wait, we didn't spend a year writing a book together, did we? <laughs> no. But, um, no. It, you know, the just that principle of, of trying to do too much, right? Um, and and I, my popular analogy is is you're not going to boil the ocean, or you shouldn't try. Right? Do it a pot at a time, because that's how you're going to do it. Um, and, and far too many organizations want to to just let's re-architect our network. Man, that's that's a, that's a tall order. That is a tall order. Um, how how can you augment that? Perfect. Let's do that. But let's let's not try to re-architect everything we've done. Face it, for the past twenty plus years, you know these net, some of these networks have been in place for twenty plus years. And I talk to you know Active Directory people. My another favorite one is Active Directory. All oh, my Active Directory is horrible. Probably. You probably implemented it in about 2001, 2002. You had over 20 administrators over the past 20 plus years. That's all have different philosophies. Yeah, that's going to, that's, don't let that break you, but let's move forward and let's figure it out. Right? That's, that's really some of the drivers. Um, that, that's roadblocks I see. What I heard from you, Jerry, is that what's bugging you is people not doing enough. And the roadblocks they're going to get into is when they try to do too much right away. Exactly. It's striking that balance, right? And yeah. finding that step-by-step journey. That's exactly right. You're, you're, you're dead yeah. on, right? It's an oxymoron. But it is <laughs> it's, it's, it is. it's cognitive dissonance. That Jerry's, Jerry's cognitive dissonance of trying to hold those two conflicting thoughts in his head at the same time. Jason, what about you? Is any any, any other headwinds or anything you would add to what Jerry said? You know, it, it, it's interesting is that um, it's very often not technology issues that run uh, that 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 raise their heads and, and and cause issues because you know the, the the security industry and the people that we work with on the security side and the IT side they're all they're hardworking they're really smart they're talented and they're very creative and oftentimes the challenges are people uh, or process or organizational and it's you know you work with that with an enterprise and they say okay great we want to go down the zero trust journey and we want to do things this way um, and then we might ask, well, why you know why are you doing it? Why do you want to architect the network or set the, the the enforcement points this way? And they say, well, you know, we have these constraints because this other part of the organization is doing this, and we're not in charge of that tool or in charge of that team. And then immediately they're like, okay, well, that's a yellow flag because now you're doing something that's you're doing something that's suboptimal and maybe it's not best practices. It's going to cause headaches for you because you haven't aligned with this other team or this other organization over here to replace this tool or change this process or whatever it is. And there's lots of examples of that, you know, for things big and small. And I would say the only answer is start to build relationships with your peers, ideally get top-down support for this. Um, and it might even be better to find more folk, more narrowly focused projects where you can do things well or really well versus a bigger project where you have to, well, we can't change this, so we have to work around it, and then you get a suboptimal result. Yeah. I mean, like, you, you know, I think you mentioned, Jason, at the beginning, um, 
some people rebrand zero trust in their inside their organization because they don't like the word into transformation. It's people, it's process, it's technology. The technology is there. The difficult part is the people in the process because it is not just a security initiative or an IT initiative or a networking initiative. It's bringing all those players to the table. Jerry, like you said, top down, you know, it's got to be a strategic initiative that has been uh, reinforced from the top. So we are running up on time. So I want to give each of you the opportunity to have any final words before we do our final rapid fire game. And this time, Jason, we're going to, we're going to bring you in to do it as well. We're going to have you both do it. Any final words, Jerry, Jason? Yeah, just, just know that, that zero trust is a, is a business, a business initiative. Um, it's more than just micro segmentation. It's more than network segmentation. It is across the board, people, process, technology, and it, and it's, it, it, it may be a huge endeavor, but take it one step at a time. That, that's the last thoughts I would give. I would say have, have faith and confidence in yourself and your team and your organization that you can make this journey successfully and also have the sense of urgency that zero trust is a demonstrably better way to approach security and that you need to, you can step up as a security leader and I think understand that you have a megaphone here and a, I would say an obligation to push and pull and prod your organization forward to a better place because, you know, goodness knows we're not being successful as an industry in defending ourselves against criminal and nation state attackers and we need to move to a better model. Well, thank you both. Let's have some fun now. Jerry, we'll start with you. Rapid fire. So basically what I'm going to do is ask you some very simple questions and you got to answer them as fast as you possibly can. Okay. This is not brain buster stuff. Coffee or tea? Tea. All right. Uh, if you weren't working in cybersecurity, what would you do? I'd be a volleyball player. Really? Do you still play? Uh, I haven't played in years, but I used to play on an amateur circuit in Florida. Beach volleyball, by the way. Beach volleyball. I was going to ask. That was going to be yeah. my follow-up question. Uh, what are you currently reading? Please don't say Zero Trust and Enterprise Guide. <laughs> uh, Jack Reacher. Um, uh, what's okay. the last one? Jack Reacher. Okay. And um, when are you most productive? Uh, probably from the hours of 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. <laughs> okay. You're a, night, you're a night owl. I am. And number one hobby outside of work? Uh, occasionally building um, uh, carpentries type stuff. Building. That's really cool. I've yep. always wanted to do woodwork. Yep. All right, Jason, we're going we're gonna to flip this over to you. Coffee or tea? Coffee. If you weren't working in cybersecurity, what would you do? I think I would uh, I'd have a food business and uh, probably do some writing as well. Okay. Maybe you'd have a restaurant on the beach. No, no, Jerry no not, not a restaurant. I hate the, the hours would be terrible. I have a food business. Food business? Yes. We'd sell prepared foods, mail order, internet sales, you know, high-end stuff. Okay. It would be, okay. be delicious, whatever it is. Probably barbecue of some sort. Sign me up. What are you currently reading? I'm reading a very depressing book about climate change. I don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> when, when are you most productive? When you're not reading uh, a book about climate change? Uh, early in the morning when everyone else is asleep. Okay. So how did that work out? When you got Jerry that's at the night and you in the morning, how did you guys write a book together? Was it just flipping back and forth throughout the day? There's a lot of hours uh, on yeah. Google Hangouts together. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Not during the working day because we were usually working. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of evenings, a lot of weekends. Yep, yep. All right, Jason, number one hobby outside of work? Uh, cooking. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Good business. Yeah. 
All right, guys, thank you so much. Uh, so thanks to everyone for listening uh, today to today's episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. And if you're not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is a production of AppGate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests and may not represent the views of their organization. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30.